Lost in the Long Box is sponsored by Gateway Comics and Toys. Gateway is located at 2368 Plank Road in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Our website is gatewaycomicsandtoys.com where you can find more information about our store, including hours, new releases, and specials for the week. Our social media is under Gateway Comics and Toys as well, so you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Alright, good evening everybody. Welcome to Lost in the Long Box for Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. I am um, your host, Randall. I have my co-host, Tommy and Enos. Say hello, guys. Hello. Enos, hello. say hello. Thank you. Um, Madman hello. working aboard. Say hello, Madman. Hello, Madman. Um, Olivia is out today. Um, I promise you guys, Olivia did not leave the show. Um, Gateway Comics and Toys are undergoing a huge... Um, move and revamp virginia uh Frankfurt, virginia virginia we're about to get our first actual comma mega store um which is occupying our store because they are taking over one huge location and moving to two locations there as well as their store up in dale city is doing really well as also so um yes she's gonna be back those of you who tune in just for her trust me she is coming back we we didn't fire her she didn't quit any of that stuff all right <laughs> Cool. I'm the only one that gets fired from this show. That's right. And that used to be on a weekly basis. Used to be. But it's always good, speaking of, of their expansion and everything, it's always good to see a brick-and-mortar comic store doing well. Oh, yeah. That, um, well, that happens a lot these days, so it's always good to see. So that's that's great. Well, she's told me um, several times uh, when I've been in there getting my polls that uh, 2020 was a really good year for them, despite um, COVID. So. Well, that's good. That's good. It's always good to hear. Right. Um Oh, anyway, but I was saying when we usually fire Tommy every week, I don't have to do that anymore because now I just give Mad Men the signal and he mutes your mic and everything's happy. So, so pro wrestling, Undertaker, Stone Cold. Mad Men, mute. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> how was everybody's week? Pretty good, pretty good. good. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit of football. Man, did you see that Tampa Bay-New Orleans game? Wow. Wow, what a seesaw that was. Drew Brees, one touchdown, three interceptions. That might be one of the worst games. Uh, I, I know, right? But it was it, it was a good game. Back and forth, back and forth. If, that, uh, if, that's, if that's it for Drew, though, he, he can't complain. He's got a Super Bowl. No, he's got nothing to hold right. his head he's, down for. I mean, that's he's, it for him. He's, he's, got, he's, he's, he's got, got a right. Hall of Fame career, so. Yep. First yeah. ballot Hall of Famer, too. All right, so um, poor Madden was over there, uh, you know, doing the heavy side, you know, sports ball thing. I don't like it. So. <laughs> I, I was happy to watch the Bills win, so I'm I'm really pulling for the Bills. Go yeah, me too. Bills. If I had a football team, it'd be the Bills. Uh, well, I'd like to see the Bills Packers myself. Well, I come from the generation where uh, I watched the Bills go to the Super Bowl yeah. four years and lose all four years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Incredible teams, too. It's hard to believe right. they lost four in, four in a row because those were some incredible teams. Correct. Yeah, they were. And, and like, 
the last one they lost, I happened to get recalled for the Gulf War. Mm. Um, back to active duty that weekend, Super Bowl weekend. I got to Goldsboro at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, which I wound up staying until Memorial Day weekend of 91. I got there just in time with two hours. I went to the bookstore down the road from the base. Heroes are here. Got some comics. Got a pizza from um, Domino's. Got settled in my room, and I was good to go. And I was like, Buffalo's finally going to win a Super Bowl, and the dude missed the field goal. I'm like, what? I would remember the Super Bowl with them. And this will be the last time, and then we'll actually talk comics because, you know, it is a comics podcast. The year they played Washington, um, and they came out strong with second Doug Williams, and then he finally decided, okay, that's enough. Boom, 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 like five touchdowns. And suddenly it was yeah, like exactly. near 32 nothing by halftime. And think, well, then this game is over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but eat it. But eat it. Pizza, football, and comic books, that sounds like a good night to me. Right. Except, oh, yeah. except those of us who are professionals with our comic books don't read and eat pizza anymore. We eat the pizza well, first. No, of and... course not. You don't <laughs> eat pizza. You eat the oh, pizza no. first, and you wash up and clean up, and then you read the comic there was, you know, There was somebody on one of the Facebook groups talking about um, – that feeling when they're trying to take a comic out the bag and the tape gets stuck to the cover. <laughs> and I was like, only you noobs had that problem. And someone was like, happens to the best of us. I'm like, no, because some of us take the tape all the way off. And then someone's like, well, yeah, except when it tears halfway, then, you know, if the tape is so old that it's tearing out the way, that means you're rebagging and you're just cutting a tape off anyway. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. You get to Damn be it. to a certain point in this game, then the, and you take a comic out of a bag, tape comes all the way off. Because I have lived that nightmare where you pull it out and it gets tucked on the back of the cover or the front of the cover, and you're oh, sitting there going, so ooh, 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 and you're just yeah. praying and praying, and that one little flat come off, you know? And, yeah. yeah. And then the whole comic's ruined. Well, it's not ruined. It's just it goes down from your 9-8 now to your 6-0. Right. So, ruined. So, all right. It always happens to the one you really want to read. Right. So, uh, let's talk about some news items. Um, Enos, I know you're excited about this one. Um, supposedly in the works, and they've been talking about it for months, um, a Batman the Animated Series sequel on HBO Max. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard about that earlier this week. And for those of you out there who are young enough to, to not know this, um, the original cartoon of Batman the Animated uh, Series gave us our famous Kevin Conroy's Batman voice. Um, it showed that Mark Hamill could do something other than Luke Skywalker because he became the iconic voice of Joker. And not to mention, everybody kind of forgets this one. This is what introduced Harley Quinn. It wasn't comics. It was that, that cartoon. Yep, that's in the cartoon. Um, which is right. it's so funny when you think about that because look how huge of a character she is in DC now. And she did not start as a print character. She started as Joker's sidekick in that cartoon. Well, all those, <clears throat> all those girls who dress up as Harley, you know, they... They probably were introduced to her in that series as well, which means they were watching for Batman. Right. Ended up finding a character that, you know, that they more, liked. more along their lines. Yeah. I don't want to, I, I refuse to say identify right. with because that's, that's crazy. She's, you know, you know, a few cards short of a few, a full deck. So, but the other thing about that cartoon, that set the stage for the entire DC animated universe. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah to this day, DC's animated, uh, Ventures are well above Marvel's. Right. I mean, it's not even... Well, the, the last good thing Marvel put out was Planet Hulk. That but, was good. Um, you know, people talk about it all the time, but you know, fondly, but the X-Men cartoon that came out in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have tried to watch that thing three different times, and I just yeah. can't get into it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I love the X-Men. I just cannot get it, into it. it, it. 
it's like it's like if you're not a drinker, like say for example, if you're like me, I I'm what you would call a social drinker. But beer, I will I will drink I'll take a mixed drink over beer any day of the week. I have to be in the mood for it or the or the time has to be right for it. Like if I've been outside working or anything like that, and if I was wanting one, then the beer would taste good to me. I don't drink it all the time. The X Men cartoon is is falls within that vein because the X Men cartoon is the beer of cartoons. If I'm in the mood for it, I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> See, to, for me, it's even worse than that um, because I like soda. I will fully admit I am addicted to soda. But if it came down to a choice between fruit juice and say Tab or Fresca. Yeah, it'd be fruit oh, juice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's how yeah. bad it is for me. Are we using metaphors just to use metaphors? Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so other news. Um, this one I kind of surprised, shocked, happy about whatever you want to go. Uh, Chris Hemsworth should start filming Thor: Love and Thunder for a May 2022 release. Oh, there you go. There we go. Looking forward to that. Um, and I don't know if you've seen the social media on him on vacation with his family. He lost all the the fat, I guess. Well, they probably CGI'd or fat suit that anyway for the Avengers. So. Oh, yeah. In this day and age, I don't see anyone gaining that much weight for a part with, with CGI being what it is. <coughs> Christian right. Bale. What? <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> when they said they were going to have to make the movie Fat the Man. <laughs> It depends on the actor. You know, if their actor's committed enough and they want to do do it that way, they'll, they will. But I'd say crazy enough, yeah. Well, Christian yeah, Bale has go. gone well, both better, extremes. Crazy he enough. went super skinny for The Machinist. The machinist and then, he, yeah. got buffed and then he got buff for Batman, and he went too far buff. And the director was secretly saying, okay, we need to trim <laughs> weight off of him. Well, Because I, I can tell you right now, if I look like Chris Hemsworth, obviously I don't. But if I did... I'm not going to put on 40 or 50 pounds to have a big old bulging belly. No, that's no. not happening. But CGI. And, and but if you guys remember, Christian Bale, I'm not, I'm not sure if he put on the way of was a fast food or anything. If you recall, he played former Vice President Dick Cheney. I can't remember the name of the movie. And if he hadn't opened his mouth, you wouldn't have been able to tell the two of them apart. He yeah. was that good. He, uh, I think he just put on weight. I think that's what they do is they, uh, those actors, they'll store up cheat days, and then they're like, okay, I, I'm <laughs> I've got at a two limit. months of cheat days. <laughs> I, you know, or like something like six months of cheat days, and they're like, okay, well, we can write Fat Thor into the script. Right. <laughs> well, um, what was that movie, Monster, with Charlize Theron? Yeah, yeah. She did the same thing. She put, weight, she put on weight for that. That was not a suit. So that, was a, that was a great movie, they, too. They do it. I, I know, but I didn't like seeing Charlie Stern so ugly like that. It was... No, I can really say, man, they, they, gave, they gave a whole new meaning to ugly when they put... I mean, Alien Werner, Werner wasn't nothing to look at to begin with, but man, to have someone, someone as fine as Charlie Stern pay her? Yeah. Oh. Other news item. Um, Tommy, I don't know if you saw this one. Tomorrow, actually, 7 or one twenty one, the DC Universe Infinite app is going to be launching. Oh, I'll uh, have to pick that up. No, I did not see that. This that is, is a revamp of the actual DC Universe app um, that had yeah. the shows and everything on it, um, which now they've lost all to HBO Max. But it did say it's going to launch with over 25,000 titles, and not just from regular DC, but from Vertigo, the Black Label, and the Milestone stuff as well. Yeah, I'll have to pick that up tomorrow then to complement my uh, Marvel Unlimited. Right. And they said that the new titles will probably be added about six months after they're released. Um, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out when they'd reverse this. Remember when they used to do same-day uh, digital? So they still do 
on like if you yeah. go to like Comicsology, you can get same day digital on Wednesdays, but you have ah, uh, it's the Comicsology exclusive. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know. You know, you might be able to get it at like DC.com or Marvel.com too. But for example, you know, it, it is still same day digital, just depending on where you go. For okay. It. So same day digital. If you're paying for a service like Comicsology, who probably let's be honest has paid a premium to DC that we get it on the release day, us only. Yeah. Comicsology has yeah. a um, a monthly fee, and then you have to buy the book on top of it. Oh yeah, see the the DC Universe app. When I had it, and, but, and it's funny, I still have it. I just I haven't been on there in months. But with Comicsology, yeah, with that it. with that monthly fee, you do get a ton of free stuff, like older back issue stuff that you know that you can read as well. So that, I mean, it, it's it's not not worth it. I mean, it, I think it's like eight ninety nine a month, and then you can buy the new stuff the day it comes out. But they have a pretty vast library of uh, stuff for, for free with your eight ninety nine subscriptions. So. Right. Well, remember the DC Universe app before the whole um, kerfuffle with Warner Brothers and HBO Max um, was building a rather extensive library of back mm -hmm. issues on the app. Now, I think that probably all went on to hold yeah, as they had to revamp and rebrand and everything. But I would be willing to bet the stuff that they had been putting out there is still there, and they're just going to be adding to it. So, I, yeah, I would imagine. And twenty five thousand issues at launch—that's pretty good by me. I'll take that. Yeah, that's probably more than half. Their I wish it was so that the uh, that you could get HBO Max if you were, if you had the uh, DC Universe app, so that way you could still have a link into the show instead of getting it separately. Kind of like you know, like say I have my Verizon uh, package, cell phone um, package. Uh, being that I get unlimited. Uh, data, I get Marvel, uh, not Marvel, but um, Disney Plus. Have you watched WandaVision yet? I have not. not. Yet. Uh, I, I prefer to I wait till all the episodes are out and then I'll just do them all at once. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the first two episodes. I, I, I've, I I've had to avoid uh, Facebook like crazy because there's all types of uh, rumors and speculations and theories going on out there. I'm like, you guys are ruining the show. I may just give in and watch the first couple of episodes and then try to stay with it current so I don't miss anything. So far, um, it's been pretty good. Like I said, I like the first two episodes. I, I, I won't say anything since you haven't seen any of them. So, and, you know, speaking of HBO Max, Disney Plus, what have you, I saw an ad today for HBO Max where they're advertising that now Warner Brothers will be doing movies in the theater and HBO Max all yes. throughout the year, they, right? And I noticed that, in the com actually announced that a couple months ago. And I noticed in the commercial good. today for it um, – Bits and snippets for Suicide Squad, the new Suicide Squad. Yeah, they they said that they're um that the Warner Brothers basically that the WB stuff was going to be released simultaneously. Everything for twenty twenty one is going to be done like um Wonder Woman right. Well, right. and I can't wait. And I saw the snippet for King Kong versus God. I saw that I as well. So. Yes, yes, yes. I am in for that. I am in but, for uh, that. So oh, yeah. I got to talk to you guys offline about this. I did not know this, but our big uh, theater down here, Paragon, will let you do a whole private rental of the uh, theater. Yes. And you yes. can actually watch a current movie, so it means we can get a group of us and go see Wonder Woman 84 in the theater. Oh, might yeah. have to do that. that so, all right. Sounds like a Windsor man. So that's my the stories I had. Did you guys get any news stories this week? I know I said grab some. I've got, I've got, I've got a good one. Um, so, have you heard the Snyder Cut is now no longer going to be four one-hour miniseries? It's going to be one four-hour movie. It never was. Um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to jump right on board and retract it. The very first article I read said a four-hour cut. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know where it became four one-hour episodes. I read from the very first story the four-hour cut. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I read it. Cause I read it recently that it's going to be a four hour cut in, instead of the full, the mini series. I was under the impression that it was going to be the mini series. Wish- they did say at one time that it was going, they were talking about, because I'm with Randy on this one. When that's for, when they first made, made the announcement that it was going to be on HBO max, it was going to be a four hour film. Then all of a sudden you've heard it was going to be divided into two parts, two hours here, two hours there. Then you heard it was going to be four hours. It was going to be a four-part miniseries. I think a lot of these doggone Batman sites that are on Facebook are just blowing stuff out of their rear just just to have something right. to say. It's slow news day. Make up a story. I know. The Snyder exactly. Cut is actually a four-hour miniseries. I kind of wish it would, was going to be a, a, the, the miniseries, though, because four hours is a long time. Well, yeah. I'm gonna uh, have to. I'm gonna have to split that one up. That's well, not what I'm gonna be able well, to here's the thing: uh, the two the two rumors that I heard associated with it that I really want to happen is one is that it's going to be in the theater as well as HBO Max, um, and two they're already saying it's probably going to get a Blu-ray release. And yeah, I'm like, yes, yeah, bring bring that, that on. We talked about that last week, didn't we? About yes. the Blu-ray, about possible Blu-ray. So I'm like, I will, I will grab that Blu-ray sight unseen. I do that. There's a couple movies that. I don't even care if I didn't see it in the theater. I buy it sight unseen because I know I'm going to like it. I do that with oh, a lot yeah. of the DC animated. Um, uh, Ennis, you got a story? Well, well, I got, got word from um, on something that the, and I'm pretty sure you guys have heard this as well, that in Black Panther 2, one of the um, minor villains is going to be Dr. Doom. And I, have, I didn't hear that. But, but I've also heard Namor is supposed to make his appearance as well, and but 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 I'm thinking now I'm going to do some more digging to find out how much credibility it is about this Doctor Doom story. Now that would be feasible because of the fact that um, the Black Panther made his debut in the pages of the Fantastic Four, and it is no secret that the big news with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that the Fantastic Four, the groundwork is being made for their debut, and what better place than to have their main villain in um, Black Panther. And I think that from what I'm hearing, they are also going to be going to focus on the storyline that led up to Shuri taking the throne and becoming Black Panther because Dr. Doom was head of the cater that um, recruited Submariner to try to get um, T'Challa to join. And when he refused, they beat him to the point where he was um, seriously wounded, where he couldn't rule, and that's how Shuri took over. The only thing I'll say about this is there's four words that don't belong together. Minor, villain, Doctor, Doom. Doom. You got that right. There's nothing minor Doom, about him. The major deal that he is. Oh, I mean, yeah. He is Doom. Oh, yeah. The and only one that's better than him is Galactus. And yep. I still say the baddest of the bad hero or villain in the Marvel Universe is Odin. I, that's true. I, I will give it for Odin. I, I really want to. I really want to see um, the purple suit giant Galactus, and not just his vaporous cloud. That's Ooh, what I no, want. No, no, no cloud. We can't have this um, cloud. No, no, no. We I, cannot have I need no that triangle no, thing going up. Yeah. Well, the, you did. I don't know if you noticed in the Fantastic Four two with uh, Jessica Alba. And Chris Evans, you do see the shape of Galactus in the cloud when they first go into it. Yes, yeah, yeah I think you did, you did. Uh, so there was that, but it was still a cloud, right? Yeah, um, we, we didn't see the man. I'm just hoping that uh, see Submariner is going to be really 
really hard to pull off and not have people accuse you of ripping off Aquaman. Simply because Aquaman was out first. Yeah, the movie came out first, but the character was out first. So. Well, you have so to just, remember, they're playing to the lowest common denominator, which are the movie fans who did not read the books. Yeah, we just exactly. have to we'll, we'll just have to educate people. It's all right. So, all right. That's what we're here for. I did not I did not know that. That's actually a good pull, Enos. Um you guys got anything else before we move on? I think that's it for me. Um I've got one more thing. We were talking about the um about the Justice League and the Snyder Cut. Now it's been no secret that Ray Fisher, the actor who played Cyborg, is very unhappy with the way that he was being treated and have made several accusations. Well, a lot of people have been thinking that he had been crying wolf or just was shooting his mouth off. Um, word is, there is some major evidence that is surfacing that gives some serious credence to, to the charges that he made, and he has already, already have said that he is not going to be part of the DC Cinematic Universe as long as the current president, I think his name is Walter Hamada, is involved. And apparently there is something about this guy that's really shady for, for Ray Fisher to make, that kind, to, to make that kind of statement. And like I said, but there are things that are surfacing that are showing that he has, some, has a lot of credence to his charges about the way that he was treated on the set of um, Justice League by Joss Whedon and apparently with Jeff Johns. So... Um, I'm sorry that Jeff Johns is being caught up in this, but then again, at the same time, we've been told constant, constantly, you never want to meet your heroes because your heroes are right. not what they all would think they are. Right. And um, being that we don't know these guys and all we, and the reason why we like them is because they put out great books. Some of these guys can be some serious jerks. Oh yeah, there's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we've all been to cons where we've met some of our uh, favorite writers and artists and walked away from that table going, "What a jerk." Yeah, I that I, I think that's one of the reasons why I never go autograph seeking when I'm at a con because you know last thing I'd want is for to walk up to someone that whose autograph I want and then to treat me like dirt. Right. Two greatest people I ever met at a con yeah, exactly. that that loved that's, to sign and were just personable as all get out were the man Stan Lee and oh, yeah. and George Perez. Yeah. When George, I went to get when I got my first Stan Lee autograph. When I got my first yes, Stanley John Wesley ship, yes. they told us is do not talk to Stan. They said it's not because he doesn't want to talk to you, but because if you say anything to him, it's over. Get he won't shut up. <laughs> right, he won't shut up. So you can't talk to him. Right. All right. So, so I actually do have uh, now Olivia's right. not here to give a staff recommendation, but I do have one that I want to plug this week. Um, I have plugged this book before, um, but issue three came out a couple weeks ago, uh, and so I want to again push it. And that is um, from Image Comics, Crossover, by Donny Cates, Jeff Shaw, D. Cuniff, and John J. Hill. Um, if you are not reading this book, you really need to go grab it. This thing is amazing. It's only up to issue three. Uh, I know that your comic shop probably still has all of them on the shelf. If anything, you can go to um, any of the online dealers and get it. Um, I remember, I don't remember, you guys know the premises I've told you before. Do you remember what it is? I remember uh, no. talking about it, but I don't remember. The whole, um, the whole concept is it's kind of like Earth Prime. Yes, I'm using a DC example for an image book where there are no superheroes, but one day something happens. This rift opens up, and uh, a huge section of the city um, gets overtaken by comic book characters. And so they put this dome over top of it to seal them in. 
um, because they're trying to figure out, okay, we now have all these four-color heroes and villains alive in the real world. This is, you know, a big kerfuffle. We got to do something about this. What's really great about it is the actual title, Crossover, hints at other characters are going to show up in this book. And in issue three, two of them do. Um, but one of the things that's really great is one of the characters is this girl named Ava who gets out of the bubble and she winds up in this comic shop because even comics have become outlawed in this new world. And she's got the classic 1950s pixelated face with all the little dots for her coloring. Um, so I, I won't tell you who shows up in issue three. Um, just that go out, get it, crossover. Fantastic book. I really can't wait to see which is going. I'm really hoping Donnie Cates is going to get something worked out with the other big two to bring in characters from them as well. Yeah, I might have to go check that out. I got some stuff running around to do tomorrow. I might have to stop by, uh, stop and pick that up. Because um, I like Cates, so I'm sure Yeah, it's because you told me about that, and um, I don't think I got one in my box. So I'm going to have to go and pick those up when I go. I'm well, probably going on Saturday. But I remember when issue one came out on the show, I think I even told Olivia, just drop one in your box. Okay, well, I don't, I'll have to take a look because I did go in December and grab all my pulls that um, I didn't um, when, when my truck was down. So I um, will I'll double check tonight, and if not, I will make sure that that is on my purchase list on Saturday when I hit Fredericksburg. Well, if you're like me, you got a whole pile of stuff you haven't read, and then you just keep adding on to it. You're thinking, it's, you know, something's yeah. got to give I here. am so far behind, it is not even funny. I am much... Hey, look, I told you, Randy, you and I are, are, are very like, like-minded like what have you on a lot of things, that you just hit the nail right on the head. During the Christmas holiday, I figured, well, I got all these to... So that was my Christmas present to myself. And I sat up there and I came home and all I did went to sleep. So <laughs> I've been having to uh, I've been having a split time between new books when I get them and I'm rereading the Invincible series. Uh, long oh, story wow. short, I read all the way up to Hardback 11. 12 wasn't out yet. I waited by the time it came out. I didn't read it immediately. And, and now I'm just rereading the whole series to refresh my memory. So I'm on book eight. Um, like I said, I get new books, I stop reading this for a while, and then as soon as I'm done with those, I turn around and devour Invincible again. All right, so All right. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to this week's subject, um, and that is um, writer extraordinaire Mike W. Barr, who's worked for both DC and Marvel. Um, I can't remember, I, I had his like date of birth and what have you, but I, I didn't put it in here, so Enos, I don't know if you have that. You know this gentleman a lot better than I. Uh, Mike W. Right. Barr was born May 30th, 1952. He's 60, in Akron, Ohio. He's 68 years old. As a man right. pulls, pulls from the Wikipedia. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. I did yep. not know this. His writing debut for comics was Detective Comics number 444 with a backup story for the elongated man of all characters. <laughs> oh, Ralph Dibney. Uh, and it's, yep. let's be honest, it is hard to make Ralph Dibney a likable character. I mean, it was okay. I liked him okay when he's always a backup feature in a Flash and always teamed up with Flash. His moment of shining, unfortunately, came with Identity Crisis with the death of Sue. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't see him as being like a superstar that can run, that can have his own book, but I don't think he's not. I don't think he's an unlikable character. Right. I like Ralph. Um, the, the elongated man is one of those characters that has a special place in your heart. You won't go out and buy. If he had a monthly title, it wouldn't sell. But but you throw a fit as soon as it was canceled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ralph Ralph was kind of like that guy that falls is like 
you know, everyone looks at the Martian Manhunter as the heart and soul of the Justice League, but um, but uh, Ralph and Sue were kind of like the, what made it. And I and I really think that one um, and though Identity Crisis turned out to be one of the best books I ever read, I really think DC dropped the ball when they killed her off. Right. Well, because that just like because it was like. The the elongated man's existence was basically Sue. When died, that just that they just didn't know what to do with it. Right. And um and, and like and I'm like if it's going to be if it was going to be like that, it should have just kept her alive. Right. But anyway, so because that's where he makes his first character. debut for de- for for writing comics, and then he actually did another backup uh, detective comics of elongated man in issue four hundred four fifty three. Um. So. That's how he breaks it. Now, I guess he spends the next few years doing editorial duties on uh, on the letter columns and I guess writing some tech articles um, mm-hmm. for DC. Uh, but then I don't see where it, where he got back into writing other than the fact that in the 80s, he's suddenly writing um, like Mystery in Space, Green Lantern, Brave and the Bold, Marvel Team-Up, uh, Spider-Man Scarlet Witch Team-Up, uh, Marvel Fanfare. Um, and then Tommy and... July of 81, he takes over the editorial duties on Legion of Superheroes. There you go. And he holds that for like six years. That's an eternity. It you know, would be an eternity in this day and age. Maybe not so much back in the 80s, but in this day and age. I, I think back then that would be a long run, especially for one book, you know? Yeah, six years is quite a while. Uh, but let's get to the two big things that he did. Um, actually, three of them. Um, one of them uh, is unfortunately famous for a bad reason. And that is, uh, I did not know that he and Brian Boland did Camelot 3000. Yeah, yeah I, did. I, I have, um, I've never read that. It was, be, um, it was before my time. You know, it, it looks like it was from 82 to 85. And uh, so I was... 85 for three years for a 12-issue yeah. series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard good things. And I think, and if I'm not mistaken, I've heard you and Enos talk really highly about this. So. Oh, yeah. Great book. Just took forever. Well. Three, three years for a 12-issue <laughs> miniseries. It's not that it took forever. It's that there was a delay from hell between issues 11 and 12. You know, the, the ones where you don't want the delay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cause, well, that would really stink because that's the last two issues. You got right. to get that out. Well, the thing yeah. that was so groundbreaking was that it took the whole Legend of King Arthur and the Knights and it jumped in forward to the year 3000 and it was basically more of a space opera instead of a, a straight fantasy medieval uh, story. I've never read it. I will freely admit I haven't read it, but I know that it was all the rage when it was out and everybody was reading it. Um, those were the same people that I heard in the comic shop um, month after month when issue 12 was delayed again. Right. One of the things that a lot of people don't know about about that miniseries, which was groundbreaking, it was there was one of the first times you saw a, um, one of the first lesbian uh, couples in the... Um, was Guinevere one of them? In, in, Huh? Was Guinevere no, one of them? It was. It was, sir. Um, one of the male knights came back in the body of a woman, and wound up um, having. A, it was like wound up being two women instead of a guy and a girl. And I just knew, and I know his head had his name on the tip of my tongue. It wasn't Sir Gawain. I think it was. Um, oh God, I, I, it'll come to me shortly. But it was um, Sir Tristan. Sir okay. Tristan. Um, it, during the medieval times, was a man, 
And when it comes to the year 3000, he's re- his spirit winds up in the body of a woman. And throughout the whole miniseries, he kept saying, I'm a man, I'm a man. And then he embraced it. And he and his queen and the girl that was reincarnated as his true love fell in love. So that was the first time we saw a same first time in DC comics that I was aware of a first same sex um, uh, relationship, so to speak, um, to, to, to be out in the open like that. Hmm. Yeah, I did not know that. I might just, when I get through all the other pile of stuff on my room, break down and get a, a trade for that. Um, he also, I didn't know this either, I guess the very first, the, the first Green Arrow Limited series after the regular series died, that was, that was his, his, his hand. Him and uh, Trevor Von Eden, right? Yep, Trevor Von Eden. And that took, and um, I believe that is when uh, they took Green Arrow was the backup feature in the pages of World's Finest Comic. And then when they were going to cancel World's Finest due to, due to the impending crisis, they gave Green Arrow a four-issue miniseries that was the predecessor to the Longbow Hunters, which came out, I want to say, about three or four years later. Which, which is what really put laid the groundwork for um, the mythology of Green Lantern to be more solidified. Right. The Longbow Hunters, that was Mike Grell, wasn't it? Yes, that, that was, was Mike Grell. Because I believe Mike Grell illustrated and wrote that, right? That's yes. Because he was an artist by trade. Um, well, right. again, and Warlord, he, he did a lot of the art, the art short on Warlord when he was writing that. So. Right. And, and um, that kind of like gave that back to him because um, Mike Grell for a while was the artist on Green Lantern and Green Arrow, which really helped him solidify that that, that Green Lantern continuity or mythology, which led to the the um the miniseries that was done by Bob Barr and Von Eden, and then later by him with the Longbow Hunter. Right, and I also want to say that Grell's art on Green Lantern and Green Arrow gave that book a sales boost too. Yeah, it did. Because a lot yeah, of people knew his art from Warlord and saw the covers and went, that's a Grell cover. And then, yeah. So, so he's done that. Um, now we're going to hit the two big ones. So, hey, Tommy. Yeah, Randy. You remember a series called Brave and the Bold, the whole Batman team-ups? Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, you know what happened in issue 200 of that? It ended. It ended. But you know what was important about that book? It featured a preview of Batman and the Outsiders. Absolutely. By Jim Aparo, which I didn't realize Jim Aparo had done the art with it, who was a huge, huge artist at DC back then. Um, there was uh, there was tons of books that I bought because simply it was Aparo's art. Oh, yeah. But, so, here's what's great about, but he has a preview for Batman and the Outsiders. He has that really great cover for issue one where Batman is standing with the Outsiders and he's like, forget your two-bit Justice League, this is my new team now. Um... The thing that was really great about that series, and and I didn't realize this go back until I went back and looked, um, how the, the longevity of it is. It took all these B list characters yep. and made A listers out of them. Absolutely, yeah. Just by hanging out with Batman, right? I love yep. that series. Well, and that's really the best way to do do a, a superhero team when you come down to it. I mean, you know, unless it's something like the Fantastic Four, where they're all family or something like that, you don't really, you really only want. Justice League will be okay. Justice League's an exception. Maybe the Avengers is an exception, but you know, maybe have like one A lister and then you know the rest kind of just supporting people. You know? Well, that's the way I like here, it. Here's the credit to Barr's writing 
Because they did the same thing with Justice League, where we got rid of all the A-listers and we had B-listers. And people hated it. Yeah. Because um, remember, it had Vibe and Gypsy and Steel. And I think, was Vixen in it for a while? Maybe. Yeah, um, yeah but like Fire and Ice. And, but that book just was not, just didn't do that good. But Basically. Outsiders was a great story and, and always uh, superbly written. And look at who he had. Okay, we had Batman. All right. Batman. You, you just put Batman in there and it sells. But look who you team him with. Yep. Um, Katana. No one cared about Katana. Yep. Um, Black Lightning um, was always a B-list character. He was always a character, um, you know, sadly, who was in the background and had one or two lines. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a red shirt from Star Trek, basically. <laughs> um, uh, Geoforce, yep. who was pretty much made up for that series. series yep. um, now, Same let's, with Halo. And, and Halo... Who was made up for that series? Now let's so was Katana. and and Katana, but let's I mean let's forget the fact that they really muddied the waters by making Tara and Brian, you know, i.e. Geoforce brother yeah. and sister, and then she was, right. she ends up going evil because I know everybody read that and went, eh? yeah, yeah, because you're they're both from Arcovia, they're brother and sister, but she's bad and she's not actually a teenager. Someone needs to explain the continuity glitch. Yeah, but. And also, too, one of the best characters he gave us at the end of that series, because the first series was in 1983, it went for 32 issues, including two annuals. And towards the end of that run, he gave us what was easily a very good-looking character, not that, you know, serious kind of a fluff, who becomes a major player later on in Looker. Yeah. Because remember, Looker ends up becoming the, the dark vampire character in the second series, from 1985, just called Outsiders, where they kicked Batman out. Because remember, when they relaunch it, he's gone. So Mike W. Barr has taken yeah. this really superb team. Um, let me back up. He's taken all these B-listers and made an A-list team out of it to the point that they could stand without the guy who put them together. Yep. And not to mention, he also, and there was another character that you missed who has been a mainstay of the DC Universe Metamorpho. for many decades. And it's Metamorpho, who is who is probably one of the most underrated yep. um, DC characters because he is so versatile. He can fit in with any. And, and he, he should have been part of the Justice League, but he right. never was, huh? And we like him because he's weird, <laughs> right? And and, and 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 he's the guy that brings and he and he is always good for the humor in the, every story that he's in. He's dead serious. He's a great character. But he always has the best humor out of all of them. And and Randy, we missed this last week. You know they did a reference to him in Wonder Woman eighty four, right? I did not. No, what was that? His father in law, Simon Stagg. Oh, oh right, Dad Garnet. I knew, I knew when that when he was introduced in that movie, Simon Stagg, that I had heard that name before. And, and I'm with Tommy. They said Stagg, and I said they're going. Stag, Stag, I know this name. I knew that I knew that from somewhere, and I could not figure it out. And by the time I got home to, to look it up, I'd forgot about it. But yes, that it. is that is Metamorpho's father-in-law, and who was partially responsible for Rex Mason becoming Metamorpho. Right. Yeah. Totally forgot about that. But yeah, so anyway, the second series, Outsiders, that he wrote, went for twenty-eight issues, and then. In 1993, he does it again with a third series, Outsiders, which was, um, I guess, 25 issues because it had a, it was one of the ones that also had a zero issue. Remember all those zero issues? Right. 
Right. So it had one through twenty-four, and and then it had a zero issue. But let, let's just take a just step back for a moment and con- consider what he's done. That team becomes every bit as popular, if not more so, for a lot of people than Justice League. Yeah, it did. Um. In fact, I think they're still going today. Isn't there a, a rebirth version of them? I know there was a new fifty-two version of them. Yeah, there was is. a rebirth version of them um, that came out not too long ago. I don't know if it survived the pandemic or not. But right. At one point, there was an Outsiders comic, and right. and also and this and is laid the groundwork for some major status quo for Black Lightning too, because they've upped Andy on that character as well. Right. In well, the, through the end of third. Didn't they just do that in either Batman or Detective? He puts together a, another little group of of uh, outsiders with Black Lightning leading it. Because remember, Jefferson Pierce said, "You know, I've given up this job. What you know, this life? Why did you pull me in?" And uh, he's yeah, like, "I, I need you in so. the family." Remember, because it's a it's basically an, an impromptu version of the Outsiders again. Right. But uh, this team, Mike W. Barr, with what he did on the stories, made them so popular that when it came time for another Teen Titans crossover. They did it with Outsiders and not Justice League. Yep. So the, now it kind of begs the question, which was the better selling title? Was Titans trying to boost sales of Outsiders or was Outsiders trying to boost sales of Titans? Or were they both so popular that it's like, we've got to get these two guys together? Yeah. Probably, yeah. I think, I, Third one. I think one of the reasons why they did that is because they were, for that time, they were the two hottest books. The new Teen Titans had already had. They were like super duper hot. But but we this was. But if you recall, this when that crossover came in, this was at the time where we were beginning to see the evolution of Dick Grayson into Nightwing and Wally West as the Flash. So they had to come up with a storyline to help catapult that. And I think that was the reason why we saw that because Batman stopped in, in, in that particular um, um, series. Batman stopped looking at Dick Grayson as his kid's sidekick and he looked at him as an equal. And that was when, that was like the first glimmer that, okay, we see that Dick Grayson isn't going to be Robin for very long. Right. So what better way to do that than to have one of the books that made uh, made uh, Robin, they helped Robin, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, Cyborg, and Starfire, and the others stand out along with the book, uh, the up-and-coming hot book featuring his mentor <clears throat> leading a whole new group of heroes, and that way they're laying the groundwork for Dick Grayson to really come in, come into his own. Well, also remember too that part of that—that's also the book where we see that there's a rift developing between Dick Grayson and and Batman right. over Titans of of all things. Because <laughs> yeah. he's like, you Bless can't stand you. the fact that I have a team that's doing well that you're not leading. Exactly, exactly, and and um and um there was one point in that book where. Batman was trying to tell the Titans what to do, and Dick stopped and said, wait a minute, I run this. This is my team, right. <laughs> and, and, and he said, here's what we're going to do. And Batman stood back and he said, well, I'll be damned. Isn't that, isn't right that also how that, that panel where Dick Grayson steps up, this is my team, and you see they're all behind him looking at Batman like butt out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
and and and, and everybody's giving Batman the fu face. Like, man, we don't listen to you. Go on somewhere, <laughs> right? But yeah, Outsiders. Um, and and it's funny. I mentioned three series that he did. Um, that's just the three that Mike W. Barr did. Remember, he also did the um, the uh, the oh gosh, the one shot when they were doing the whole um, bat uh. Uh, outsiders teams his with with uh katana and shazam because remember they was building a whole new team and they did it to four one shots right um but there's also been at least that i can think of three or four other outsider titles um that he didn't write through the ages which is just a testament to what a great team he created and there was a point where we were exposed and this also, I think, really laid the groundwork for probably another one of the most unsung Batman artists is Alan Davis. Right. And um, <laughs> when the um, outsiders split up in 85, when Batman left the group, Alan Davis was doing the art. And they come to find out it was all part of Batman's plan to help them stand on their own. He wasn't. It wasn't his objective to just lead the team and stay there and they tell him what to do. He wanted to give, he felt that everyone that he brought together had the tools to work together and be a solid team. Come to find out, he was right. So I have one question because I, I don't know who they are, but apparently also in Outsiders, he created the supervillain group, the Masters of Disaster. Yeah. Who, who's in that group? Oh, God. It, it had to be some of the major villain players or players that became major, right? I'm, I'm trying to remember who they were. I, I, I know. I, know I don't know. I have to be honest. I, we can always come back to it. Um, but some other Mike W. Barr stuff, and, and here's a couple of another big key ones for him. Um, this one, he did uh, some of the contribution to the DC Challenge Limited series. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, but... He also followed up Frank Miller's well-received Batman Year One with the Batman Year Two storyline in Detective 575 through 578. And in that, he introduces the Reaper character. Remember him? Yep. And brings it back again in a one-shot you know, storyline, Batman Full Circle. But one of his big ones, um, and Enos, I, I know you know this one, is he also did the graphic novel Batman Son of the Demon. Yes, sir. Um, drawn by Jerry Bingham. Now, what's really great about that story is apparently that book alone was responsible for putting DC back in the top place for, for sales after like a 15-year yeah. drought. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I heard good things. That's with uh, Ra's al Ghul and Talia al Ghul. And... Right, absolutely. Yeah. I have not and read it, but I've heard good things. I have a copy, it. man. It's, it's really good. And, uh, this is the book that gave us that um, truly, in essence, they tried to make it an Elseworld story, but it didn't last that long. This is the this is the story that gave us Damian Wayne, right? But because now he also in this story. Okay, go ahead. Um, well, go ahead. Because uh, in this story, um, Dick, I'm oh, not Dick Grayson. My goodness. Um, Rachel Ghoul has an enemy who was responsible for the death of Talia's mother. And he was, his name was Quayen, I believe, because he could crush people, would kill people with his bare hands 
and he would take their blood and put a cue on their forehead. Well, you know, there's always somebody that scares the, the most scariest person in the world. This was the guy that scared that um, put fear into Rachel Gould. And we all know oh, that Kane, very yeah. little or nothing scares him. Right. And um, he enlists Batman. He asks him again to take over for him. This time, Batman accepts. But during this, um, during this process, um, Talia and Bruce conceive a child. And, and there was a point where they were going to get married. He had said, well, wow, I'm going to be a, be a father. Maybe I'm going to name him, if it's a boy, name him Thomas. If it's a girl, name her Martha. But it was a point where Talia realized that Batman was too obsessed and was going to be more focused on seeking justice than being a father. She faked a miscarriage, and the book ends with a child winding up in America being wrapped in a piece of jewelry that he gave Talia. So everyone he had everyone thinking that she had lost the child, but she had. So she put the child up for adoption. They updated that story, and we wound up getting Damien, but it wound up being that Talia took advantage of Bruce. Well, now, hang on. Is that all in Son of the Demon, or is that in his follow-up, Bride of the Demon? Because he does a follow-up to Son of the Demon. Looking over yeah, no, that's in, some of the information on it, it's all in Son of the Demon. Okay. It's, it's, it's all in Son of the Demon, because the last panel is a baby boy draped in, a, in the necklace that um, Bruce gave Talia. Okay. When she told him that she was pregnant. See, that was one of those ones where, and I kicked myself at the time, I actually missed Son of the Demon. Um, and then the whole word of mouth of how good it was and how fantastic it was. And then, of course, because it was a hardcover, it wasn't mass produced like the regular comics. So when I went back to the shop to try to find it, they were gone and, you know, not to be had. So I jumped on Bride of the Demon when it came out, which unfortunately didn't do as well. Um, no, it didn't. Still a great story, and I, though. And I bought mine. Yeah, I, I bought. I was lucky enough to get the hardcover when it came. I had, I had some extra money at the time, so I bought it, and I still have it. But his work, Mike W. Barr's work on Batman is so great that Grant Morrison cites it as his inspiration for his own run on Batman later. So, but that's... Uh, I want to tell you guys... I'm, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, but... but, but for all the great work that he did on Batman, on Brave and the Bold, Batman and the Outsiders, which gave me, which, which provided Batman and the Outsiders, number one, gave the quote that defines Batman. When Superman um, asked, when, when he, Superman confronts him when he leaves the Justice League, and he says, he said, and I can't remember exactly what the dialogue was, but it says, he said, Please make us understand. He said, oh, I don't understand. He said, you, you think I don't understand what's going on? He tells Superman, I have heard the cries of the dying and the mourning, the victims of crime and injustice. I took a vow that I would avenge those deaths and to protect innocent lives. And if I fail to keep that promise, my entire life is a lie. And to me, that is what hooked me. But the, but the best Mike W. Barr Batman story came in 1984 in the, in the one-shot DC special called The Player on the Other Side, which introduced us to a villain called The Wrath. And um, basically, on the same night that Thomas and Martha Wayne was murdered, 
a big cop by the name of Jim Gordon came across a robbery suspect and who tried to fire, who fired back at him and he wound up shooting the, the, the robber and his wife, leaving, that, leaving their son an orphan. Then, and as you know, the same night, Bruce Wayne was an orphan as well. And I remember see, this story. Yeah, and you see throughout the story how both of them live parallel lives and they wind up becoming Batman, the agent of justice, and the wrath becoming an agent of evil, where he goes and particularly assassinates law enforcement um, person, anyone in, in law enforcement. He kills police specifically, and he winds up becoming a hired assassin. So he decides that he's going to take out Gordon, and he and Batman run afoul of each other, and it winds up being one of the greatest Batman stories ever that you never hear anyone talk about, but it it was just like absolutely phenomenal. And um, Randy, the art was done by one of your favorites, Michael Gold. I love me some Michael Golden. You know, I really, I actually do remember reading this story. I hadn't thought about it in years, but I remember reading that because it was so awesome that it was showing you two different lives on the same night affected by the same crime, but how they diverged on two different paths. I, I really remember. Right. Does that predate Killing Joke? Because I'm yes. wondering if Alan Moore didn't um, borrow from it. Because it predates Killing Joke here. And I'm going to... Can you guys see that? Yeah. There's That's pretty friend, money. There's right there. super, huh? That's pretty money. That art's pretty money right there. Yeah, yeah I do. Like, wow. Enos, I, thank you. I actually remember that. I had not thought about that story in a long time. Is this better? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good stuff right there. That's good stuff. And this is, and you can find this in Batman in the 80s, the trade payback, and um, then then they focus. If, if if you don't want to look for the the single issue, because I'm pretty sure the single issue is going to be. I'm I'm not saying it's going to be steep, but it is one of the most. It's probably it's one of those best kept secret Batman stories. Right. That the the people who are big Batman fans are going to look for it and know they're going to find it because all the other Batman fans haven't gotten rid of theirs. Right. So let's talk about his other work really quickly here. Um, things I didn't know he did. One of the ones I actually remember liking. Um, which was short-lived, unfortunately, was uh, he did Mantra for Malibu Comics, you know, just before Marvel bought them and shut them down. Yeah. Um, he did The Maze Agency, first at Comico, then later of Innovation, and then resurrected over at IDW. Um, he did the Star Trek, the manga for Tokyo Pop. Ugh, I don't understand. They must have paid him a lot of money for that one. <laughs> and one I would have never thought of uh, forever he did the Simpsons series over at Bongo Comics. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow, that I didn't know. <laughs> I'm like, really? That was Mike W. Barr? That was a long-running comic, too. Right. And he apparently also did the Christmas special for them in 2010. Yeah. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if he wrote all of the, the Simpsons, but he either started it off for them or he wrote a good chunk of it. Because uh, I was just like, Simpsons? Really? Wow, I didn't know that. You know, he also um, did Star Trek novels as well. 
So he wrote like uh, Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and, and Voyager um, in comic books or other media type of things. So he wrote novels for him. And I did not know this. I'm sure Enos did. A lot of his Batman stories were adapted for the very same Batman animated series we were talking about at the top of the show. Yep. And I got one more to show you. There was a sequel to The Player on the Other Side that was written by um, Mike W. Barr. If you guys can see that, this is the trade paperback from, uh, this was taken out of the pages of, I think it was like Batman Unlimited or something like that. And this is where the son of the Raft, because the Raft was killed in um, the player on the other side, from on the other side, and his son takes over on a personal vendetta against, takes up the mantle of the Raft and takes up a personal vendetta against Batman. This is written by Mike W. Barr, and the art was by the phenomenal Rags Morales, who gave us Hawkman. Yes, Rags Morales. I love his art. Um, while we're talking about Batman, I'm just going to go ahead and plug it, and, and Tommy's going to groan. Uh, Batman Catwoman number two, written by Tom King, came out today. Um, pick it up, because if you remember the Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Phantasm animated movie, that is going to be the feature villain in this series. Um, and in fact, I wow. believe you actually see their costume at the end of the first issue. So, good stuff. All right, yep. we're out of time for the week. Uh, good subject, Mike W. Barr. I forget who we're talking about next week. I believe it is another spotlight. Um, want to remind everyone the three magic words of the internet like, share, and subscribe. Um, Facebook.com slash Lost in the Long Box. You can find us there. You can also find. Um, our sponsor, Gateway Comics, at facebook.com slash gwcomics. Uh, Enos has our three sister groups, the Batman Yesterday, Today, and Forever, Realm of Superheroes, Comics, and Pop Culture, and gathers together the greatest superhero teams. Uh, drop us a line at lostinalongbox at gmail.com because I'm lonely. Thank you very much. Uh, Madman does Shock Monkey Radio every Tuesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. here on FXBG Public Radio. And then if you could throw some money, please, because we're all poor college students. Well, no, that's not true. Um, <laughs> but we do pay for this all out of our pocket. Um, Patreon.com slash FXBG Public Radio. Until next week, everyone, we will talk to you then. Bye-bye. Good night, everyone. Hey, Randy, one last thing. That raft book that I just showed you, it starts off with... From the other side, it's the complete raft storyline from that and when his son takes over. So you'll be able to get two for one in one shot. Nice. I will look for that. <laughs>